glory forever and ever. Amen. Welcome to the podcast. In and Through exists to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name is Tim Elmore, and I am the senior pastor of Memorial Baptist Church, Stratford, Ontario. And I'm Marshall Morton, the associate pastor at Memorial Baptist in Stratford. And here we are doing another video podcast. Round two. Round two, take two. That's right. Because <laughs> I was only recording myself, yeah. uh, which is just sort of how things work around here. I think about me first and uh, not other people. Uh, but it looks like this time we've got it figured out and we're going to move forward and we're going to get this podcast recorded. Yeah. Probably not the best practice of social distancing. This radio room is fantastic, but there's not really quite six feet. Not quite. Uh, I think but, we got like four going right now. Yeah. Yeah. So as long as we can record in here, we will. But uh, it may come a day. Yeah. May come a day. We have contingency plans and, and contingency plans on those contingency plans. Yeah. Because the podcast rolls on. The po- <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. So, First Samuel. Yeah. Yeah. Samuel. Um, I was excited to get into First Samuel, actually. I was telling you earlier in our kind of first take that it feels like a bit of a milestone for me. It does. I don't know yeah. why. Like, Because I think we're, we get into kind of the, the, the period of kings ruling, as mm-hmm. we're going to see as, as we get through this. And so it just kind of felt like, yeah, just another milestone of okay, we're we're, mo- we're moving through this thing. Uh, we get into 1 Samuel, we get into some Psalms, which is going to be interesting as well. So, right. uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, the, the Old Testament especially does come in these waves, and the, the New Testament will as well, where you have the, uh, the, the prologue, which is its own sort of wave, and then you have the patriarchs, mm-hmm. which is a wave, the, the exodus, uh, and then the judges, the initial moving into in the conquest and now we have the time in the land so it right. is it is definitely a chapter in and of itself through the redemptive narrative mm. yeah so so that makes sense so we get into samuel and uh the forest right we talked about what our forest is going to be and we 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 sort of came to the same consensus by a different direction sure yeah, yeah so do you want to talk about what the the forest is going to be for us yeah so i think it what it has to do is it okay? The, the question that that we're answering is, what does it mean to wait on the Lord? Right. So, what does it mean to do the things He's called us to do in His timing? Right. Right. And that is, you know, both bo- on both ends of the spectrum. Right. Not not forcing things, not rushing things, mm-hmm. but also, you know, taking action when it is right to do so. Yeah, I, I would say I would say wait upon the Lord um, generally means a chronological thing, right? A time-based thing. Sure. Uh, we don't want to get ahead of him because he does have a timing. Uh, we don't want to fall behind him, mm-hmm. but to stay in his timing. At the same time, it's also a statement in, in part of means that we're going to go about it the way that he wants us to go about it, even inside of that timing. And I think we see various uh, examples of how that is done well and done poorly. In this section, yeah, we really do. We kind of get both both ends of the spectrum on that. We kind of get the uh, we we can learn the same lesson kind of from a positive example and from a from a negative example. So we're gonna see that we're gonna see that today. Yeah. All right. So let's start uh, let's start our way through the trees and uh, work our way through the Samuel's the the Hannah mm-hmm. coming to the temple. The Lord has closed her womb. Uh, she prays fervently regularly for this, uh, for a son. 
And God grants that prayer. He does. Yeah. Now, now this is what can often happen. A lot of times people will take prayers like this, and they will work them in as a formula, right? And so what we want to take from the story of Hannah is what God did, not how Hannah caused God to. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, totally. I think if, if we're going to focus on anything that Hannah did, it would be her remaining faithful to the commitment that she made after God did what he did. Right. Not that the fervency of her prayer moved God to act. Yeah, because because when that happens, when we take that approach to it, we're we're going to end up with this something that is going to tiptoe, if not cross the line of prosperity gospel. This is how you cause God to do what you need God to do on your behalf, is to pray like Hannah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and when we find that, we, we find ourselves uh, asking for things so that we can have things, even if that's not a materialistic thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Like so at the at the point that this is being recorded, uh, we are in, you know, the second week of uh, social distancing for the COVID-19 uh, outbreak that is, is going on. And and you could say even even when it comes to things like physical health and virus and protection and things like that, uh, that that those are things that we want from God. And and there are people out there saying this is how you use Examples of prayer in Scripture to cause God to do what you want God to do, but that's not her, her purpose here, no. right? She is not putting another God before God. She's not using God as a means to her end, and she shows that by giving her son back. Yeah, in in what is almost an Abrahamic, Isaacic kind of expression of sacrificing back to God what God has gifted her. Sure. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, I know there's there's definitely some some significant parallels there. And so then Hannah, in response to God's faithfulness, God's goodness, God's provision, she she prays this prayer, which is just so which is so beautiful. Um, it's a beautiful picture of God's sovereignty, mm-hmm. which I really love, which is a, again a good reminder to keep this in context, right? Like God is in control. Like that's a very pervasive theme in the prayer. And so again, as we're evaluating these types of things. Remembering, okay, this is about God doing what he wants to do, yeah. um, not what we want him to do sometimes. Yeah, and then we have an issue with the priests at hand. Yeah. After after Samuel comes in, he is given uh, to the, the home of the priest. There's an issue with the priest at hand. The lineage is cut off. Yeah. And Samuel steps into that role, called by God to step into that role. Uh, and so we, we see what was going to be the lineage set apart by God for them to live in from the you know the the declarations from Deuteronomy has been broken yeah and someone outside of the family brought in yep. to serve as a priest uh and and then the people start begging for a king yeah yeah i mean and we knew this was going to happen right moses I mean, told us yeah moses told us that this was going to happen he's like look you don't need a king mm-hmm. but when you do demand a king right this is how it's going to be done Right. Um, so and why do they, why do they want a king? Well, so that's that's the interesting thing. So 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 the language that's used is they want a king who will go out before them mm-hmm. and who will fight their battles for them. Right. 
which is language that is explicitly used to identify the type of God that they have earlier on. The Lord who goes before them, the Lord who fights on their behalf, who hands them victory against their enemies on a regular basis. Right. This is God's job. Right. As if that isn't what happened in Jericho. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And Deuteronomy 31 explicitly says the Lord will go before you. Mm-hmm. Right. And so now what they're saying is in in the this is a theocracy where God is the king of these people. Mm-hmm. And in his presence, they are asking for a person to do what he is doing, because that's what everyone else around them has. They are being called out by God to be his people. And what they want more than anything else is to not be special. Yeah. To be average. Yeah. To be just like everybody else. Hmm. Yeah. And Samuel warns him. He's like, look, <laughs> he's just going to take from you. He's yep. going to take he's going to take your sons to be soldiers. He's going to take your daughters to be servants. He's going to take, you know, the best of your land, the best of your resources for him for himself. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. You think the burden that God placed on you, you think you think the tithing and the sacrificial system was a heavy burden. Wait till you have a king. Right. Right. Yeah, and the the thing that I would say to this too, that I just as a reminder to ourselves, ecclesia, mm-hmm. the the Greek word used to name the church in the New Testament is also a people called out. Yes, set apart before the foundations of the world, and we still desire to be like the world. Yeah. yeah. So so while we're talking about the shame that is due to Israel for their actions, for this mindset. We also want to be very careful to assume, to not assume that we're above this. No, yeah. But to see ourselves in this. Yeah, because I think, especially in, in our modern era, right, we, we often seek to uh, implement structures and strategies that are seem to be useful and common outside of the church. Right. And, and, I, don't, and I don't mean to say that, like, Anything we do that's not explicitly outlined perfectly in Scripture is necessarily problematic, but we ought to be we ought to be sensitive to the danger that comes with with applying worldly strategies and worldly wisdom to how we do church. Are right? we are we getting into regulatory principles and? Well, I'm like maybe. Like, I mean, I'm not okay. Like I, I, you know, there are some people, you know. Um, you know, so let's define that. Okay, so the regulative principle of worship is essentially that the only things that happen as the church gathers, the only rules that function kind of over the church and determine how the church operates, those things must be explicitly outlined in Scripture. Right. So if we're going to sing a song, that song has to be a psalm. Yes. A podcasting does not count as church or Bible study. No. Uh, it's a it's a bonus kind of thing. Yeah. Some would even go so far as to say those churches that are filming their Sunday morning services are doing something that is not the gathering of yeah. the people, yeah. uh, and so it's not church. I, I would agree that it's not church. Yeah, sure. Uh, but I but I would also disagree with them that uh, you said the other day. Sometimes people that have this mindset fall into this trap of nothing is better than something. Yeah, it's like and that's it's like not an, the case. Anything less than perfect. Like we might as well just do nothing if it's not ideal. Right. Let us not do it at all. And uh, and yeah, I disagree with that. I reject that. But however, um, while while not taking that whole idea as far as some people do, I think there is something to be said for that. And I think maybe you know a little dose of that 
you know, might be helpful to say, okay, why are we doing this thing this way? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and does that at least match up with, with scriptural principles, even if it's not explicitly outlined in the Bible? For here's, us? A qu- here's a good question for Uh-oh. you. Do you remember how we got on this topic? Because we've chased a rabbit a little bit. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Let's bring it back around. Yeah, yeah. So no, it was about it was about how God wanted to uh, be the king for His people, right? And they, they instead they wanted they wanted a, a a structure of authority that resembled the people around them, right? Yeah, trying trying to look like other things, and 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 to just sort of close the 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 conversation on how that exists in our corporate worship. Uh, there are a lot of times where people want to bring in. Eastern meditations and things like that into church corporate worship uh, that we would reject and say these are not things that God has prescribed or described, either one, in Scripture, uh, and they are paganism or false religion brought into true religion. And so that's what's happening with Israel. They are asking for a king. Mm -hmm. They're warned against it, Yep. uh, but they eventually get a king. Yeah, they do. Saul. Yeah. And uh, and so the the way we're introduced to Saul is probably one of my favorite things. It's it's comically tragic. <laughs> we have this kid, seventeen-ish, maybe. Sure, young young man. Yeah, yeah. young man. And uh, and he's in. He has some responsibilities around the home. He's in charge of the donkeys. <laughs> is he good at that? Not. He's not the best. He loses them. He's not good at finding them either. He loses them. He goes all over the countryside looking for them. Can't find them. Bumps into Samuel, mm-hmm. and Samuel says, "Hey, guess what? I don't know where your donkeys are, but you're going to be king of Israel." Yeah. And so he goes home to his dad and says, "Good news, bad news, Dad. <laughs> About the donkeys. I don't know." I, yeah, I think they do find they, the donkeys. They found them, not him. Like his uncle finds right, them. Right, someone, some, someone else finds them. Someone else finds them, yeah. Uh, so he's like, yeah, I, I don't know where the donkeys were, but I know this. Uh, it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm about to be king of Israel. That's right. That's yeah. right. Well, and, and what do the people say? Do the people say, hey, you know what? What's his resume? Does he have any background in politics? Has he ever been? Did, how good is he at even sort of hurting donkeys? Uh, no, they look at him and they have one comment. He's tall. No, and handsome. He's tall and handsome. Yeah. He's, I put him, I, in my notes, I put in brackets, I just put like Jewish Thor. Like if you watch any of the Marvel movies, just like this like tall, hulking guy with like flowing blonde hair. That's how you see him. That's huh? how I see him. He's yeah. just like Israelite superhero, like just from the outside looking at it. But he just, you know, as we'll find <laughs> out, just looking the part doesn't actually mean you know, fitting fitting the role all that Sure, well. <laughs> right. So so he's tall and he's handsome. Yep. And so they are happy to receive him as king. Yep. Uh, he does some good things. He does run out the enemies of God yeah, in some instances. He, he takes the battle to the enemies, yeah. which unlike, so the judges, right, they were constantly, it was the people fell into sin. They were subjugated by a people and then they would, you know, cry out and the judge would kind of free them. Saul takes on the offensive. He's he's picking fights with everybody he's supposed to be picking fights right. with. So to his credit, early on, at least he's fulfilling that part of the role to a point. And then he goes too far. Yes. And yeah. then and then he takes that and says, "Hey, you know what? I am seeing success, and so I have to keep going in what I know works, and I don't have time 
to wait on other people to come make sacrifices on my behalf. Mm-hmm. I don't have time to wait and listen from God. I'm just going to put my foot on the gas pedal and get this job done. Yeah. And it ends up causing him to fall out of favor. Yeah. Well, and so those things that you just mentioned, right, those are those are indications that Saul was not fil- uh, fulfilling the mandate that the kings of Israel were supposed to do right like they were mm-hmm. to, remember they were in Deuteronomy I believe they were to write down a copy of the law right that's approved by the Levites meditate on it study it day and night mm-hmm. right in order that they might be good kings if Saul had been diligently studying uh, God's law he would have understood that he had no right to be performing these sacrifices right and so that that was something we made a big point about when Moses was talking about the kings in Deuteronomy that these people need to be theologians above being organizational leaders yeah. or or politicians the most important thing is that they would be theologians and and that's something that I try to bring in the pastorate I, I think it's something that our staff is good at I, I think uh that is very much our heart mm-hmm. to be first theologians, uh, and then after that, organizational managers. Um, sometimes churches go wrong on this. Their their first thought is okay for a senior pastor and his staff. What we need are executors, uh, people who are are good with leading the organization that can move us forward in this sort of leadership skills kind of a thing. And the theology and the doctrine is assumed on them. Secondarily, uh, which I think is kind of what has gotten a lot of churches in trouble. Mm-hmm. Instead, we should go the other way around and yeah. say we want people who are doctrinally sound, theologically uh, going to lead our church well, mm-hmm. and we will gather around them to make sure the organization stays afloat. Yeah, I think it's easier to teach people those administrative skills and habits yeah. than it is to teach them to have a heart for the things of God. Yeah. So we were going to work through this section in the first 10 minutes, but we're at 20 minutes. <laughs> well, thankfully, most of you aren't working and have some extra free time because yeah, we so this, might go a little this, long This today. might be a longer one. <laughs> All right. So at this point, we start getting introduced to David. Yeah. The unexpected one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the prophet comes. And in the coming of the prophet, we have all of the uh, sons of Jesse gathered, except for one, because surely it's not him. Yeah, of course not. And what an awkward moment for Samuel to be like, how many, you don't, do you happen to have another son? Yeah, yeah. Because I've already said no to seven. Yeah. Uh, What are the odds you might have eight boys in the house? Because this is getting embarrassing. Mm. Uh, But they did. Yeah. And it worked out. Yeah. I I love that. I love the verse where, where... when, when Samuel's kind of like partway through his search and he's like, okay, it's got to be this guy. I right. mean, God, look at him. Like he's almost, he's almost as tall as Saul, right? And he doesn't say that exactly, but that's how I envision it, right? Maybe this guy's more like Captain America or something anyways. But, or Captain, Captain <laughs> Judah. Anyways, um, but like, but then God says, you know, don't, don't look on the physical appearance, right? Mm-hmm. That's not how, that's not how I evaluate people. Right. Like I'm, I'm looking at the heart. Yeah. Right. And I think there's a, that's a very applicable thing that we can just take and say, okay, I want to evaluate uh, the same way God evaluates. Right. And so don't get caught up with the physical appearance um, as our culture so often does. Mm-hmm. And it can even come into the church, right? Yeah. I mean, John Piper's not tall. No. No. Yeah. Yeah. J Mac's not particularly good looking. 
but he can preach. <laughs> he won't listen to this. I'm, he doesn't I'm, know. I'm, I'm going to leave it there. Uh, yeah, Joe Thorne. Not Joe that Thorne tall. is yeah, or good looking, <laughs> and he he would be he'd say it. Uh, yeah, you're you're a better gauge can, of, of whether or not a man is good looking than I'm even going to try to go for. Uh, I'm going to leave that to you. Can you imagine when we meet him in the fall? He like just for whatever reason decides out of the goodness of his heart to just listen to an episode. Stumbles no. on this one and hears that comment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so then we, we when we get into David, we want to talk about a couple of things. The the one that we have to talk about is the story of David and Goliath, because this is a commonly mistaught thing. There are really two camps on this. There's the camp that would lead you to believe that David represents you, and that through the power of God, you can conquer the giants in your life. Uh, things like sickness in our current context, uh, finances. Mm-hmm in a likely context to come soon for us. Uh, Whatever it is that comes against you in life, you are David, and God empowers you to defeat that. That is is probably the most common teaching of David and Goliath. And then in in sort of the the more Reformed uh, groups, you have the common teaching of you're not David. Yeah. Matt Chandler did an excellent sermon on this uh, years back. Uh, (laughs) in a very awkward situation at a church that would very much say you are, David. Uh, beautifully awkward, in fact. It's so good. Uh, but but if we're not David, then who is? Jesus. Sunday school answer for the win. <laughs> Sunday school answer for the win. Yeah. Jesus yeah. Jesus is David. Yep. And if Jesus is David, then who are we? We are the Israelite army who is incapable mm-hmm. and, and, and largely unwilling to handle the giant that is before us. Okay, so let me let me wrap my head around this. What you're suggesting is that the collective of Israel, yep, faced with a collective of troubles, mm-hmm. was terrified and incapable. Mm-hmm. And one, an unassuming one, set apart by God, steps in and conquers the chief of those troubles. We might say death. Sure. And in conquering the one, conquers them all. Yeah. And you think that that harmonizes with Scripture? 110%. Oh, man. Like, it's just such a beautiful, it's such a beautiful picture. When we do this exercise of biblical theology and we can trace certain themes throughout Old Testament, connecting them with the new, it is just such a wonderful thing to see that that. Christ as the Lord's anointed, the chosen one, Mm -hmm. the one who comes in the name of the Lord, executes judgment on the enemy. I mean, even like the cutting off of the head, similar to the, like it's, to me, it's even reminiscent of the crushing of the head of the serpent, Genesis three. It's like, it's just, it's just beautiful. It's a better story. It's a better story, right? Like Mm -hmm. if the story was all about you know, be brave and God will be with you. I mean, sure, like that that's comfort, comforting to an extent. But what if what if you are brave facing a particular problem and it's not removed? It doesn't matter how brave you are facing death. Yeah. It's You're still, not going to win. Yeah. And but so, he has. Yeah. And it's just it's like I think when we try when we put ourselves at the center of the biblical narrative, when we when we make ourselves the hero rather than the extras, right. as you had said earlier in our in our planning session, like the story isn't as good. No, 
You know, it's not as interesting. You know, I, yeah, anyways. Yeah, yeah. So so in this, we look to, in that particular story, we, we, we realize we are the ones who struggle, who are incapable. Christ has come on our behalf, and he has defeated the chief enemy and with it all other enemies. And then once that has been determined, we join him. Yeah. In the work of removing that enemy. Yes. And this is a physical example yeah. of a spiritual truth. Yeah. Right. Because um, Christ has established his church mm-hmm. and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Right. We we interpret that verse from a defensive standpoint. Mm-hmm. You don't attack from your gate. The gates are the defense. Right. Right. So hell's gates will not prevail against Christ's church. Right. Which means... We need to be on the offensive, right? We need to get out of this mindset that we're that we're in this losing battle, and understand that Christ has has already achieved the victory, and he's in, he has invited us to join him mm-hmm. in in fulfilling that final victory. Yeah, and after that, there are a number of things that press forward from the story of David sure, and yeah. his, his interactions with Jonathan. Yeah, uh, you gotta love that one of the top forty hits that comes around in Israel at that point is uh, Saul has killed his thousands, David is tens of thousands, <laughs> uh, which which has Saul not bobbing his head. Yeah, uh, he, he doesn't like it. No, he does not. Yeah, he gets a little cranky. He's a little little jealous, that guy. A little yeah. grumpy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and this is also a time when we start seeing a number of the Psalms work their way in. Yeah, yeah. And so so what I want to talk about now is I want to talk about these Psalms, uh, because some of them some of them are very difficult, and and a lot of times when people talk about the Psalms and they're encouraged by the Psalms, they use a portion of the Psalm, and not the whole Psalm, because there's something about you know posting on Facebook, you know, God be the lifter of my head mm. and break the teeth of my enemy. <laughs> yeah. And we, and we like the lifter of my head. And then we just kind of want to leave it at that. This this particular psalm that that has the condemnation on on others, mm. those that are the enemies of God, uh, has its own category. You yeah. want to pronounce it for us? The imprecatory psalms. Imprecatory. Yes. Right. And and so that means God's or David crying out against his enemy. Yeah. Can we worship and pray an imprecatory psalm? 110%, but yes. We have to understand a key difference. Right? So 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 the church is the realization that the kingdom, the physical kingdom of Israel typified Right. right. So the nation of Israel, not only being the means through which Christ would come into this earth, into that particular context, and God would progressively reveal his nature and his will to those people. But it is a picture of what the New Testament church is going to be. Right. Right. So just as the Old Testament kingdom of Israel had enemies, so too does the church. However, there's a key distinction between the enemies of the Old Test of Old Testament Israel and the New Testament church. Old Testament Israel surrounded by very physical enemies, right? By very, very, very imminent perils of foreign kingdoms that were seeking to devour and destroy them. In our context, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Right. Right. So we understand that our enemies are spiritual in nature. 
not physical in nature. Right. And so that's where we would say that the old covenant is a shadow of mm-hmm. the new covenant to yep. come, that it is a physical representation of spiritual truths, yep. and that the fulfillment of that and the explanation of that comes in the person of Christ, who would tell us, you have heard it said, but I tell you, right? In order not to say it was wrong to begin with, and now I'm I'm telling you what the real thing is, but in order to say you have to this point been revealed these physical truths, mm-hmm in this temporal world mm-hmm. because the promises of life and the people were still going to die. Sure. Just not of famine and not of war. Mm-hmm. But people in Israel were still going to die. They were still going to face consequences of, of sin. Uh, and so there were temporal, physical expressions of spiritual truths. And now we live inside of a realization of that spiritual truth outside of that uh, necessary physical blessing to exemplify that. Right. And so inside of this, we look and when I read an imprecatory psalm and it talks about my enemies, I don't put a physical face to it. Yeah. I don't think about a person that I want God to crush. Mm-hmm. I think about a fallacy that I want God to crush. Yeah. Crush uh, ignorance of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Crush hard heartedness. Yeah. Crush this humanistic perspective that says uh, I'm OK and I don't need a savior, yeah. I want these things crushed, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So that the person would be saved. Yeah, yeah. And that God would be glorified. We have to understand that even in our context, should the church, you know, here as it is elsewhere in the world, be persecuted mm-hmm. by physical governments or authorities, even they are not in and of themselves the enemy. It is the lie that they are believing, whatever right. that lie might right. be, that is pushing them to do that. Right. Right. So that is the that is the New Testament interpretation. That is how we can worship through these Psalms um, appropriately. Yeah. And there, this is going to get sticky. At some point, people yeah. will th- there will be those who will come against us and say, no, because God speaks against the doer of the sin as well as the sin. Right. Uh, and that is 100 percent true. There will be those who will choose the lie rather than the truth, and they will rebel against God, and they will press forward in this way of saying, no, I am going to be a knowing perpetuator of this fallacy, and I am going to come against God in an antichrist kind of way, whereas John would say uh, the antichrist is coming, and in fact, many have already come. And in that case, would they embody that mindset that we want destroyed, that falsehood that we want destroyed. And I would say, tragically, yes. Yeah. And by their choice, yes. And I would still pray that it would be the fallacy that is crushed. Mm -hmm. And if they go down with the ship, then God have mercy. Yeah. Yeah. So imprecatory Psalms, when you read them, Read them wholeheartedly. Yeah. And when you read about the enemy, think spiritual enemies, lies, mm-hmm. and pray that God would crush those things and that people's eyes would be open to truth. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. In the upcoming weeks, we're going to be getting through a lot of Psalms um, because we're getting to that point in Israel's history. And so um, I'm looking forward to us addressing the types of worship that aren't as commonly used mm-hmm. in our in our current context. I think uh, we as a modern church, not even just the modern church, but even the church of like the last few generations, 
maybe even centuries, has failed to fully grasp the breadth of um, what kinds of worship we see within the book of Psalms. So I'm looking forward to those conversations. But yeah, first one, imprecatory, some hard stuff. We went with kind of the toughest one right out of the gate. <laughs> yeah. And, and what about the promise of deliverance inside of the Psalms? Because we're also going to find a promise of deliverance. Yeah. And and this is huge right now, right? Mm-hmm. This is gigantic because yeah. there are those false teachers of our time that are encouraging people to take on these Psalms and to claim them over their lives mm-hmm. so that they would not find themselves infected yeah. or financially affected. Mm-hmm by this sort of pandemic catastrophe that we find ourselves in. How do we, if, if we're going to say that there's a New Testament way of reading an imprecatory psalm and coming against the enemy, mm-hmm. what do we do with that idea of blessing? Mm-hmm. Is there, is there a, a harmonizing of this rereading that works on the other side of that? So just as we understand that from Old Covenant to New, physical realities— physical priorities even i would say become spiritual ones so yes. too does so too do the enemies so too does the deliverance yes right not to say for a moment that um, god can't provide physical healing physical provision i mean he does right mm-hmm. he does he provides for all of us he provides for those in our culture quite well he does um but ultimately the deliverance is spiritual Right. So like we can, in a sense, we will all be healed Mm -hmm. because should a virus or a heart attack or cancer or a city bus take this life from us, we will then be able to live eternally in a place without sickness, without death, without any form of corruption. So whether, whether, you know, if you've got cancer, whether or not that cancer is removed or whether it takes your life, you will be healed. Yeah. And I I think that's important to remember because a lot of times we talk about healing and and we only think temporally Mm -hmm. and people, people will sometimes come against us and they will say, you guys have a powerless gospel that believes God can't affect the life and save people now because you de-emphasize healing in this life. Yeah. And what I would say is I think there is, a in, in those charismatic circles, a disproportionate view on what healing is. Yeah. Right? Because what they're talking about is a very temporal thing. Yeah. That person still lives in a broken world, still under the curse of sin, and still will eventually die of something. Yeah. That is not supernatural healing in its totality. Exactly. And that that we would be taken that that this life would be taken from us and we would be delivered into the presence of the savior it is truly the test mm-hmm. of whether or not we believe that the life to come in Christ the hope that he has established for us a hope that is in Christ to come mm-hmm. is greater than the trappings of this world oh yeah if you were if you are you know if you receive physical healing of cancer and that gets you from 75 years on this earth to 85 years on this earth i mean that is still a good thing. Sure. That is something that we ought we ought to pray for, ought to be thankful for, but that is absolutely nothing to, compared to what the spiritual healing that the gospel does. Mm-hmm. Right? That 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 it would redeem us from um a destiny that is apart from God in in utter darkness and in isolation from the one who is the giver of all good things 
and then bring us into this reality where we spend an eternity with him and with others living in perfect harmony. Um, like that is like, of course, like, you know what? It's okay to de-emphasize the physical healing because it, it doesn't compare. It doesn't. And, and this isn't to say that we encourage people to long for death. No, no, right? no, no, no. no. Uh, the idea is not that we would long for death, but that we would long for that perfect relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. This is what Paul does when he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I am happy and willing and desiring to continue in this life so that I have opportunity to proclaim the name of Christ and the gospel in order to bring the lost into the fold and to encourage the church but selfishly, personally, to be able to remove that cloud of, of confusion between myself and God and to see him as face to face, there's a part of me that says, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a good desire. That's a good desire to have. Yeah, so, so we want to remember that these blessings, these blessings are spiritual blessings. This is what the book of Ephesians tells us when Paul mm-hmm. says uh, that in Christ we have received every spiritual blessing. Uh, we have spiritual healing. We have spiritual protection. Death is not something that will consume us, but will just usher us into life. Yeah. So this is a win-win situation. We become sick with COVID-19 and mm-hmm. we heal when we become sick with something like this and we die even bigger win. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so the encouragement that we have in this is to remember that this is a win win situation and not a win lose situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A- anything that you want to uh, mention that we might have missed or, or to drop a highlight? Um, I guess for highlights um, for me. So what's included in this week's reading, what we didn't really get to in the in the story is um, the scene where David is hiding out in a cave. Yes. Saul is pursuing him. And. And David, kind of hidden by the darkness, goes and, and cuts a piece off of Saul's robe. Mm-hmm. I think kind of as a way to say, hey, I could have had you. Could have. Could have. You were mine. Yeah, you were mine, and, and I let you go. Right. But even that attitude towards the one who is in authority over him, even though David knows he's been anointed, even though he knows like that, that Saul's days as king are numbered, even in that context, he understands that he ought to show him a certain measure of respect. And uh, and so his loyalty is just unbelievable. And he, he comes out and he confesses what he's done that is wrong. And um, it's just kind of this this beautiful thing. And it's it seems like that. Like we know all about David's failings and we will get there. But it's it's times like that where I'm like, OK, I, I, I kind of get it when when God says, you know, David was a man after my own heart. I'm like. That's huge because I don't think I could have done that in that context. Yeah, he understands what it means to wait upon the Lord. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wait and, for God's timing. You will be King David when Saul's time is ended, and you're not the one to end Saul's time. Yeah, my highlight is also Davidic. It's it's going to be maybe not a moment, but just sort of a, that that mindset. Okay. Uh, that he's the deliverer, uh, and points to Christ as the deliverer in uh, the story of David and Goliath, and that even he being a, a type. Right. of Jesus, right? It, not that he is <clears throat> the deliverer in the same way that Jesus is, but that he would sort of typify what it means for one to deliver the whole. Uh, in his Psalms, 
spend so much time saying, I recognize the problems that I face. I recognize my impotency to do anything about it, but I also recognize the strength and the glory of a God who is going to bring about his will. And I pray, Lord Jesus, bring about that will. It's going to read sometimes like he's saying, bring about my will. When he talks about, you know, crush the head of my enemies and all this kind of stuff. And, and it's going to look like he's naming and claiming, uh, saying, this is what I want to happen. And so do this on my behalf. But the difference is, he knows that he has been set apart to lead God's people into the promise that God has given them scripturally, and he is studied in that theology to know what the will of God is, where he stands in that, and to pray on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah. Your will be done, right? And so that is the statement that's being made. And in the same way, I want to pray those same kinds of things. I want to be able to, in the face of whatever happens, be able to say, God, bring about your will. Use me however you would, but I know you want to make your name great, and you want to crush the lies of this world and crush the chief enemy, Satan, who would tempt and lead people astray. And I want to say, crush those things mm. that come against me and that come against the church and that come against the truth of your gospel because only you can do that. Yeah. And when I would fret, I bring that to God and I leave it with him to say, you've got this. Mm-hmm. Use me how you will, Yeah. but you're the only one that can do this. Yeah. And and that reminder is just echoed constantly through the, the Psalms. And, and where people might choose to crop that out I would say, no, 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 that is the point. Mm-hmm. Keep those things. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, and is produced by Alex Walker. See you next time. Take care, everybody.